Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, you can rate it, you can review it, you can subscribe to it. Uh, but mostly, what we want you to do is just tell somebody that you listen to Lamestream Sports, they should be listening to Lamestream Sports, and their families should all be listening to Lamestream Sports. Yes, we are. We are. We love children to listen to all the bad words we say on the pod. Uh, Austin Carp is our guest today, managing editor for the Sports Business Journal, uh, the premier, possibly, uh, sort of nerdy media, sports media uh, entity, website, podcast is great. They got all kinds of really great content. So if you're a nerd like Steve and I into the media stuff, which obviously if you're listening to the show, you are, uh, you know all about the Sports Business Journal. And uh, Austin is fantastic. We're going to talk women's sports, the growth cultural capital which is my new favorite phrase uh, of course a little rsn talk in there as well for you predators fans baseball fans and grizzlies fans the future of those regional sports networks as well so a lot of stuff uh with austin today on the show uh steve however before we get into our conversation with austin and some recommendations a little bit later on in the show lamestream sports is a podcast about nashville sports media and business it is hosted by steve cavendish of the nashville banner sign up for free and good journalism from the NashvilleBanner.com, or I guess it's just NashvilleBanner.com, and it is in fact brought to you by Jaspers, always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. They are fine, they are wonderful, they're amazing, many people are talking about them, the parking is free, the menu is fantastic, uh, and of course it's the next evolution of the sports bar for a reason, you can watch anything you want, you got the game room in there that'll watch your kids for you, that is not uh, official stance. Of, of Jasper's, but I'm just telling you that the game room will do do work for you, okay? Just letting you know. Um, otherwise, go to Jasper's. It's a great place to watch. You got the NFL draft coming up. You got uh, a couple of Preds games, I guess, maybe one left, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, you got the playoffs coming up for hockey and for basketball. The Grizzlies are going to be starting their playoff run on Sunday. So a lot of fun stuff still to watch on the television. Uh, so go to Jasper's, everybody, okay? Sure. This is where you say you're go your patent. Yeah, your patented, creative, really, really revolutionary tagline. Go to Jasper's. All right. So women's sports exploding right now all across basically every sport, professional, college in particular. We just had record-breaking numbers for the Final Four. We talked about it a little bit last week. We wanted to go a little deeper. And yes, we are acutely aware that we are three middle-aged white guys talking about women's sports. I just want to point that out, that we are we know about it and we get it ironically, but doesn't make Austin any less interesting. He is fantastic on this stuff, knows everything there is to know about this. And again, we'll talk about the RSNs, the Predators, and uh, those regional sports networks as well a little bit at the end. So without any more of me and Steve, here is our conversation with Austin Karp of the Sports Business Journal. Austin, thank you so much for joining us this morning, giving us some of your time. We do appreciate it. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. So let's get started here with uh, we'll get into some some um, RSN stuff a little bit later on. But I wanted to talk with you primarily about the growth in women's sports and how it's mm -hmm. being and how it's affecting business. And I want to start. We obviously had the final four 100 percent growth, basically, on, on the TV ratings, almost 10 million viewers, the highest rated of all time. Can you can you draw, can you pinpoint a reason, in your opinion? Is it just personality? Is it just an untapped market? Is it growth over 25 years? Like, try to give us a sense as to why this is happening right now. I think like a lot of things in this world, it is a mix of everything you just mentioned. There's just so many things that have come together to create this moment in time where we are actually seeing organic growth in women's sports. Re people really interested and really wanting like I wanted to see that LSU Iowa game. OK, I put it up, like I scheduled things around like I want to sit down and watch LSU Iowa. I want to see Caitlin Clark play like throughout a couple of games during the tournament. So, yes, it's. This is decades of growth in the, from the WNBA, showing interest in professional women's basketball. Obviously, the professional league is having its own moment outside of NCAA women's. But I think some credit needs to be given to ESPN over the last couple of years. Okay? Just like three or four years ago, before the pandemic, you didn't even see every women's NCAA basketball tournament game on TV. Okay. They finally said, all right, we are going to make an actual commitment. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to show every game. And not just that, we're going to put multiple windows on ABC. When you get that exposure on broadcast TV versus just ESPN2 or ESPN on the cable side, it really does give you more numbers. 
more exposure, more popularity. You're maybe a lead-in for something that is a bigger audience. In this case, the women's game is the, turning into the bigger audience. For that championship number, I can't tell you how surprised I was. I've been doing this a long time. I knew it was going to set a record. I was a couple of million viewers off of what that game drew. It just blew my mind that it was such, it, it was a huge number. It draw better than some Thursday night football games on Amazon. That's the NFL. Nothing touches the NFL normally, even on an Amazon programming. So to see a women's college game get that sort of recognition, get that sort of attention, it's really awesome. And it could not have come for a better time for the NCAA. It has a media rights package coming up. That women's tournament is just one of like 30 some odd sports wrapped up in ESPN's media rights deal for the NC2A, which excludes the men's tournament. That is off on its own. Is that something that the women get now? They've clearly proven that this is a valuable commodity. Okay, so they're kind of they're using their media consultant now, which is Endeavor, owns UFC and PBR and some other entities, WWE now. They're consulting with the NCAA. Do they want to pull the women's tournament out? Or does that maybe hurt the value of the other sports in there? Hockey, wrestling, gymnastics, which are also having their own sorts of moments. So I think you're going to see a major uptick in the media rights value. It's just whether they keep the women the part of that overall package. Men's sports have, because because they've traditionally been on TV, have been have matured around a sport as opposed to a gender. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that, uh, that's a really interesting question is, if you decouple the NCAA women's tournament, um, do you, do you, lower the overall value of everything are, are, are women's are people coming for women's sports or are they coming for the women's tournament or are they coming for mm -hmm. women's you know like you pick up x number of people uh we, we talked to people talking about uh how the the big 10 network did really well with like women's volleyball coverage yeah, the, the huge last numbers huge numbers here the last couple of years like if you if you begin to decouple all of this and and kind of make it diffuse do you do you lower the do you lower the overall market or is this you know where, where is this gender based more mm -hmm. do you think it's sport based more you know i think that's what they're trying to decide is all right can we remo maybe remove the women's value will we be able to extract so much value from that on its own okay and keep everything else by itself can we also maybe break off something else can you break off baseball and softball as its own media property and sell the college world series and college softball world series kind of on its own. Um, but the tournament itself, like the regular season, we're just talking about like the tournament, right? The championship, those right. NCAA championships, obviously, you know, big 10 volleyball is going to continue to probably be on big 10 network or, or the Fox has those and ESPN has certain rights and CBS has certain regular season rights. But in terms of the championship, like after the men's tournament, which is obviously, you know, leaps and bounds above the other NCAA championships, you break off the women, which is a clear number two now, has really just walked away with it. Then you're looking at, you know, some of the bigger numbers, FCS football. OK, that's going to get that championship game is always over a million viewers. You see it, you know, randomly. It's like, oh, there's North Dakota State playing uh, South Dakota in the championship in December. And people sit down and watch that. And people want to watch that football game. That's probably maybe the second biggest, uh, that whole playoff system. You know, the, the FCS playoffs is popular. ESPN gives it a lot of exposure on ABC and big ESPN. But And something you've seen get a lot of exposure over the last two to three years, NCAA gymnastics, the women's side, okay? That'll be on ABC again, you know, on, on Saturday, this weekend. It's drawing close to a million viewers. It was a record-setting number last year, which topped the record-setting number the year before. So the more exposure they're giving this, the more record-setting numbers they're getting. You know, something that really surprised me was the most recent NCAA Men's Hockey Championship, okay? It, it aired on ESPN2 on a Saturday night, going up against NHL action, I think on ABC, and it was still able to see its best audience since 2011. Now it's for Quinnipiac, Minnesota. I don't know if there's some huge diaspora of Quinnipiac fans out there that were tuning in, but wow, I don't know where they found that this huge audience size to drive that sort of number. If you'd have told me it was like Michigan, Ohio State or Michigan, Boston College, like maybe I could have bought into that. But Quinnipiac, Minnesota, like it just there is a growing audience for college sports, I think, overall in this country. And, you know, people talk about, hey, what's the big second biggest sport? Is it like NBA or MLB? I'm like, no, it's college football and it's not even close. Yeah. So 
talking about the appetite for college sports in this country, I think it's you see it in football and it's trickling down now to some of these other NCAA championships. And they're going to they're going to get a big uptick in their media rights fee, the NCAA. Well, it, it helps to have an overtime game winner as well. Uh, that, that certainly <laughs> that certainly helps. Um, I, I'm curious about like just general consumer habits, maybe is the right phrase, because it, I get a sense, and this maybe is this is this is part of soccer's growth in this country as well. But maybe it's part of women's growth. Maybe it's part of college growth, like you're talking about. It, mm-hmm. uh, do you get a sense that we are just sort of bored with the big sports? Like we've just, we've just been watching them for decades. We know about them. We know all about them. We know everything there is to know about them. They are hyper covered uh, by, by, especially in local communities. Do you just get a sense that we're just sort of salivating for something new, something different? And women's sports is better than it's ever been from a quality standpoint, and they're filling that that role. Or is it companies are specifically going out and saying, "Look," and I, I love the phrase "cultural collateral" or a cultural capital. That's like my my, my new favorite phrase. We want to be a part of this brand of of women's athletes. Do you get a sense of the 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 split there between sort of a focus on women's growth versus mm-hmm. we are all just sort of looking for something new and different and interesting. I think we're always looking for something new and interesting. That's why you continue to see people turning into something like, oh, I'll watch XFL or USFL football in the spring. Like people want, people still like live sports. Okay, but in terms of picking up new stuff, I think the NFL will argue with you that we're just fine. We've been here a while. It seems like a few people still want to watch us on, I don't know, Sunday, Monday, sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, sometimes Thursday. You know, the NFL is a different beast. But yeah, MLB, maybe not headed in the right direction. I think they're trying to stem some of that. It's probably seeing the massive changes. But yeah, there has been a multi-decade kind of decline for that. You look 50 years ago, the World Series was more way more popular than maybe the, even the Super Bowl. Okay, it's obviously gone like that. But yes, I think people are looking for new things. And something that the women's game, I think, has taken advantage of, and you've seen this more on the NBA side, is it is a personality-driven sport. Okay, Like I said, I wanted to watch Caitlin Clark. I wanted to maybe watch Angel Reese and some of these people on South Carolina. And I wanted to see, you know, years ago, it was Brianna Stewart. And when she comes back, I want to see Paige Beckers play for UConn. That is different than the men's NCAA side because they're leaving. They're one and done. Like <laughs> somebody comes in, you got one year of Zion. Okay. You don't get two and three and four years of Zion. There are now multiple Zion type names on the women's side. And these players are staying there for three and four years. They are part of that school. They are part of the college ecosystem. If you look at the top players from this year's NCAA tournament, they're all coming back. They're all running it back next season. Okay. That creates popularity. It creates stickiness and staying power. So I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing some of the interest continue to grow year after year with some of these players because you know who they are and you know that they're coming back. Now, on the brand, sorry, just want to answer the brand side question. Absolutely. You see companies like Michelob Ultra pledging millions and millions of dollars now. And like I said, like ESPN, we're putting they're putting their money where their mouth is. We want to sponsor women's sports. Ally, you see them doing the same sort of thing. We're going to dedicate large portions of our marketing budget specifically for women's sports. And it's fantastic to see. Speaking of, of kind of visibility and, and stickiness, uh, the, the, the women's uh, professional soccer league Mm -hmm. uh, has, has done fairly well uh, here since, uh, since it's, since it's launch and kind of the, kind of the, the second, this the the second coming of a, of a women's league how much how much are they still dependent on u.s world cup and olympic success to kind of propel those those big u.s those big u.s stars and and do they need a do they need a, a another big run from from the u.s women this summer at the at the world cup in order to kind of propel that league I think you're absolutely right. I think it still is name driven from that U.S. women's national team in terms of creating stars because they want to they then come back and they're playing in the NWSL, which is not even the second. It's like the third iteration of a women's pro league since that 1999 World Cup, that famous World Cup that really spawned the growth of women's professional soccer in in the United States. But, yeah, I think it is a trickle down effect for sure. I think that. MLS has a similar sort of issue, right? You want you want to see some of those big name U.S. men's World Cup team players. Like, all right, where, where do I watch them? You're not watching them on U.S. airways unless it's like seven in the morning because they're all playing in Europe, the best of our players. Here, yeah, I think the NWSL has that advantage. 
Their best players are playing here. You can see them on CBS. Like they have good windows. And I think they're also a league that is primed for an, an increase in media rights. They're showing can, organic growth with some of their numbers. They're being creative with their programming. More importantly, their live at venue product is off the charts. They are attracting huge crowds in places like St. Louis. You see what they're doing out in San Diego with at, at Snapdragon Stadium. Some of the crowds they're getting out there. It's it's crazy. And unfortunately, like that's one of the issues with U.S. soccer on TV. MLS, NWSL, you know, NWSL is getting nice numbers. Okay, it's not huge numbers, but the at venue products for MLS and NWSL are incredible compared to the TV numbers that they're able to draw. Because, you know, especially on the men's side, I think sports fans are incredibly bright. And they realize that MLS may not be the creme. It isn't the creme de la creme of soccer. If you're incredibly good in the MLS, they are selling you to Europe. And generally, we're talking about, oh, I can't wait for this player who's 37, 38 years old <laughs> to come over from Europe and maybe play in MLS. MLS needs to get past that still. It's still in it's 20 plus years, but I think I think there's still in the organic sort of growth of that compared to leagues in Europe that are over 100 years old. Uh, there's there's no way that MLS can compete with Saudi money, though. So we got a problem there that with too. that. Um, that. <laughs> I'm not, they're not paying that kind of money. For no, the, over here. no, they're not. Um, but you, you mentioned sort of like the professional. Steve mentions the professional ranks of, of soccer. The same thing could be asked about about softball because softball numbers, mm -hmm. TV numbers essentially are better than the, the men's version in the college sport, the College World Series. It is incredibly digestible and entertaining and fast paced. It sort of checks all the boxes that a young audience cares about. Um, I, we've asked, we've talked to some some uh, former women's players on this show about the growth of the game. Is there a uh, it, you mentioned it could be siphoned off and packaged with the, the men's version and sort of sold together that way? Is there a professional league kind of recalibrating at some point? Are there talks about this? Do you see that? finding success moving forward? It already has found some sex. Everyone should be keeping an eye on this outfit called Athletes Unlimited. They are doing a whole bunch of sports on the women's side, whether it's they've done volleyball, they've done softball, they've done some basketball. They're kind of really experimenting with, all right, what can we really do on women's pro sports? And they're throwing a lot of darts against the wall and you know, seeing what hits. They have some deals with ESPN, some deals with CBS, and they have they have a lot of money uh, you know, back in them. I think there's even, you know, there's Soros level money back there, you know, investing in this in this effort. I know the executives, they are very smart, very seasoned, and they are not trying to get ahead of their britches. They're definitely not trying to put the car before the horse. They they want to grow this organically to see if there is more they can do on the professional women's side across a number of sports like softball, like you're mentioning. But yeah, every year, like I go in thinking the women's college world series is going to outdraw Omaha, especially the finals there, like a three game, two game final set. And it's shown its popularity on TV. Like you said, if a softball game goes over two hours, you know, it, it might be, it's because it's extra innings. It's very digestible. It's very fast paced. It's they're passionate and they show it. It's like you see in Omaha with the men though. It, it's the same. It's an incredibly popular sport at that time of year for the road to Omaha, the road to Oklahoma city on the softball side. And if you are a fan of college sports, like pay attention to what's going on at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. It's definitely a battle for a kind of, you know, softball supremacy out there. And they're investing a lot of money. Uh, two things to follow up on that. How, how we know that football drives every single decision made by conferences and then their their mm -hmm. subsequent television partners. Uh, how much do we think that women's sports is going to factor in? Uh, again, even the men's tournament is 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 kind of a even men's basketball is is a tiny portion of the, that decision-making, but how much of that uh, is a factor? We already mentioned Big Ten Volleyball. And then name, image, and likeness seems to be an incredible asset for women's sports in college. In particular, mm -hmm. they just seem... I don't know what the phrase is that I should be using. They're better at marketing. They're more valuable to their client base. I, I don't know what the term is, but they They're seem... They're just more interesting. It's just more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they're just... like they, they, they These ladies know what they're doing on social media, and it is allowing female athletes that wouldn't have even come to college, especially on the gymnastics side. Okay. You're talking about Olympians coming to campus in Auburn, Olympians going to campus yeah. in LSU. So this growth on TV will help maybe, and especially in the NIL side, help some of these women's programs become profitable. What do we talk about all the time? And you just mentioned it. It's either football, basketball at pretty much every school that has the potential to be profitable. Everything else is a money losing sport. 
just about at every school. If you can show at Oklahoma, which I think it is, that it's starting to be a revenue generating sport. If you're showing at Georgia and LSU that women's gymnastics can be a revenue generating sport. Look at Stegman Coliseum for a Georgia women's gymnastics meet. Okay, there are way more people in the building there than for a Georgia basketball game. It is packed. It is loud. It is rowdy. You would think it is a riot going on in the building. It is it is very interesting to watch at some of these SEC gymnastics schools. And like you mentioned on the Big Ten volleyball side, same sort of thing. Okay, I think a Penn State or Minnesota or you know Iowa, some of these schools that have incredible followings for their women's volleyball program can really push the envelope and push to be revenue generating programs. And that's where they have staying power. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by who? See, ja- Jaspers. Yeah, always brought to you by Jaspers. So, Jaspers is awesome for many reasons, but one is that they really care about the community uh, here in Nashville, and um, we are hosting. They they are proud to help us 440 uh, host a NFL first round draft watch party to which steve cavendish you are not invited great just want to let you I had know. something else to do that night anyway oh s- shut up um you got nothing to do you just sit around and watch old 2007 cop dramas um <laughs> uh so listen here's the cool here's here's the, the, the thing that jaspers is doing for you in the community here 440 sports a football show uh is going to be hosting a watch party with one of our other clients sinkers make sure you check them out free shout no free shout um, they're going to be hosting a private watch party. The link to buy tickets is on a football show's YouTube page. So that's a real deep cut. You got to, if you want to buy tickets, private event, there's not many available. I think there's only like 10 left. Um, and you got to go there, but it's catered by Jaspers. So it's going to be all you can eat, all you can drink for the first round of the NFL draft. More importantly though, every penny of that ticket you buy goes to help our kids. Every penny will be donated to charity. Jaspers, is a, Jaspers is a part of donating all this stuff. We've don't we got donated booze, we got donated food, we got donated time, we got a donated event space, the whole deal. Uh, we're gonna have a fun NFL draft party, watch party uh, at their private sinkers private event space there in Wedgwood, Houston, or WeHo. As the kids it is say. not WeHo. No, 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 no. Hold on. We actually had a discussion about this on Twitter the other day. <laughs> uh, Alex Ramirez, who's the very fine managing editor of the National Scene, and I uh, uh, made an announcement uh, that. It, that WeHo is dead because it's a terrible name. Are you Wedston? legally allowed to do that? Wedston is the new name. Wait, wait, what? Wedston is oh, the new name. Stop if it. You, if you need, if you if you feel the need to shorten Wedgwood Houston, which by the way, don't, but but if you feel the need <laughs> to do that, Wedston is what you want. What well, there's a couple other businesses in there that uh that don't need nicknames either. Um, uh, listen, Jasper's helps kids of this community by, by providing fun, exciting events in WeHo. It's, no, I, I don't listen here. No, here's my, here's my thing. We ho. So here's it, my it, thing. It, it, it's not in WeHo. It's in Wedgwood Houston and say the damn name. Okay? I'm okay. I'm okay with Wedgwood Houston. I'm fine with that. But here, yeah. first of all, we could just cut one of them out and just keep one of them. It'd be fine. Much easier. Wedgwood. Just say Wedgwood. Um, or, or like the fairgrounds area. Uh, here, here's but here's my problem with all Geodis of this land with all these stupid nicknames. Um, cause I lived in, in, and I lived basically two blocks off Broadway before any development. And it was called even so bro then. And I, I, the problem with all of these very cheesy, very bad nicknames is that they are very concise, very short and very descriptive of where they are. I don't like them either, Steve, but everyone knows what you're talking about. If you say Sobro or if you say, WeHo or no, whatever that other no. stupid one was up on the up on the hill down there, First Avenue, whatever that one was called. Capital View? No, 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 no. That's the other. No, no, it's not the North Gulch. No, no, the other direction from downtown that they were trying to get it named something else. Uh, Lebanon Pike, out Lebanon Pike on First Avenue from downtown, where all oh. those buildings are being built. They were trying to name it something else. It was even worse. See, than Sobro. see the see the problem is is that people. Uh, so there's there's two there's two problems here. One is that. Sometimes developers just come in and decide, oh, we're going to name this neighborhood, this kind of like new emerging, this new emerging neighborhood. No, don't get to do that. Second, <laughs> who, who like, named the? Like, who came up with the nations? Who came up with that? Well, that <laughs> that, that was that that's a that's a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> uh, 
the, the second thing is, is because Sobro and, and Sobro is like 30 years old, like the, the, like the, the naming of it is 30 years old. Um, but because it's so easy to do that, you see, you see different people around town trying to pick up the same sort of, same sort of convention and do it to their neighborhood. That's how we got WeHo. That they were trying to do this with a a certain portion of Nolansville Road that they wanted to start calling No Row. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, no, so bad. no, that's, that's so not going to happen. And if you put these signs yes, out, I'm yes, going to walk. <laughs> I'm going to walk down Nolansville Road and pick up your signs and go burn them. When no. when there's when there when there are 14 mixed use retail uh housing developments on on No Row right up to your doorstep, I'm going to no. remind you that you told me it wasn't going to happen. Just say no to No Row. It's going to Just happen. say no. Oh, it's going to happen. Uh I will say there's a couple of good really good names though, right? Like Sylvan Park's a good name, uh unless any of these are related to like Civil War confederate generals that i don't know about or some random nonsense like that there was no um, i don't think there was any con- any general <laughs> sylvan west end pretty pretty solid you know like the gulch even though it has such a negative connotation for locals is a pretty solid name like east nashville is pretty easy you know very 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 creative as we are over here um you know there's some good names in neighborhoods but but some bad ones too <laughs> yeah and Jasper's Awful. and Jasper's is helping children. So go go buy tickets to our NFL draft watch party in the YouTube page of a football show. And then go to Jasper's. That one's for you, quarter zip. As, as TV audiences continue to switch to streaming, do you think that there's gonna that, that that's gonna have an effect on women's sports? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's going to create kind of more places for some of these niche sports to find to find a television audience that maybe they wouldn't have because they can't get on ESPN or the, or, or the Fox networks? I think we're already there. You see it with some of these newer media rights deals that it includes a large portion of programming available on ESPN Plus. And ESPN Plus wants that. What do they need more than anything? These new streaming services? Content. Okay, and if I can get a regular season Oklahoma Oklahoma State softball game on ESPN Plus, and it's exclusively there, you might get an audience. Okay, the only ninety percent of the time, the place I can I can get an SEC women's gymnastics meet might be on ESPN Plus, or maybe it's on SEC Network. So it fills the content hours for a lot of these networks. I talk about SEC Network; that's still kind of profitable for Disney. That's why they still have it. If it wasn't making a little bit of money on carriage fees for that cable network, okay, you saw they shut down Longhorn Network. They're going to be folding that into SEC number because it really wasn't profitable. As long as they continue to provide value for Disney, they as long as it continues to be a revenue generator, you're going to continue to see those cable networks. But I think you're absolutely right. The future is a lot on streaming, whether it's a hugely popular sport, whether it's a niche sport. And these new sports are going to have a leg up because they're getting started there sooner. They're showing the audiences like, hey, we're going to primarily be on Paramount Plus or we're on ESPN Plus or we're on Peacock. And that's where you're, you're going to train your audiences to know to come there sooner. What do you think? We, we mentioned volleyball here a few minutes ago. What do you think the ceiling is for something like volleyball? Because, again, it's pretty digestible. It's pretty mm-hmm. quick action. It's it, it's a fairly it's a fairly you know, similar sort of, I mean, a, a contained kind of time window. Uh, what, what do you, what do you think, particularly women's volleyball, since it seems to be growing so fast, mm-hmm. uh, what, what do you think the ceiling is? I think it's tougher for women's volleyball. I think volleyball men's and women's has a lacrosse problem. Okay. It's incredibly, a lot of organic growth, a lot of youth participation, incredibly popular at the college level. You have big programs, historical names. And then once they graduate, where do I find professional volleyball outside of the Olympics? Where do I find professional lacrosse? Um, that's why I give credit to Paul Rabel and what he's been able to do with his, with the PLL to kind of draw a little more interest. I mean, you had decades of major league lacrosse outside and you know, the indoor lacrosse with the NLL. But it, I mean, if I, I played lacrosse in college, I can't name a single player in, in any of these professional leagues. It's just not something I follow professionally. There's only so many hours in a day. I get that. People have 
so many sports they can follow, so many TV shows they can follow. And volleyball professionally and lacrosse professionally similarly, just it's they have not developed past that. And it might just be a college sport, and that's fine. Okay, and I think you can continue to see growth at the college level, but uh, professionally, that's that's a tougher ask. You you can always listen to Paul Park, Paul Carcaterra on the you know doing Big Ten yeah. football games on the sideline. Um, so for, to kind of crystallize the entire conversation here before we move on to 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 the RSNs. I just is it a is, is this the simplest way to explain this? Women's sports just have a more valuable CPM. Like you can just charge more per person per set of eyes. For women's sports because they're just so much more passionate about it while the numbers might not be as large is that essentially the best way to understand the differences right now between men and women it's sports? getting there i think it's it's growing okay and if you want to advertise to women yeah this is a this is a very strong place to do it especially if you're having an audience that might be especially in gymnastics uh over 50 60 percent women okay that's why you're if you look at nbc on a given weekend when they don't maybe have football going on there's a lot of figure skating going on. There's a lot of skiing. There's a lot of sports that are skewing plus 50, plus 60 percent on a female demographic because they know they can advertise to a very there's a loyal audience that tunes in for women's figure skating. And, you know, advertisers know what they're getting there. And NBC takes advantage of that. So if you can do something similar with women's college sports. Yeah, there, there's an opportunity there to make a lot of money for a lot of people. You've been very gracious with your time. So we'll, a couple of questions here on the RSNs. Um, in general, what people need to understand from what my perspective, and you please correct me if I'm wrong here, it feels like the NBA and the NHL kind of s- slipped through this big problem, at least this season, uh, got everything kind of taken care of, and, and they're fine for now. Major League Baseball has some major issues. How how do you see the the financial issues of, of Bally and Diamond uh, and Sinclair tying into each of the three sports? How, how is it different for each of the three sports? It it depends on the team, but it is a very big issue for a lot of teams. And like you mentioned, just the timing of the bankruptcy worked out way better for the NHL and NBA. They're headed into their postseasons. They they're like they're taking a deep breath right now. All right, we made it. We have a whole off season. Let's see let's see what baseball does to see if we can't figure out what's going on here. But I mean, baseball this is hitting right at the start of their season. You already have some of these. It's a group called Diamond Sports, which is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, which is the largest owner of like local stations in the country, owns Tennis Channel, is invested in the Yankees RSN and the Cubs RSN. So very big in the media landscape, not a poor company, but they had broken off this Diamond Sports group to control a lot of these regional sports networks locally. Everything that's branded Bally Sports, that's part of their group, right? Yeah, that's a lot of baseball teams. And they haven't, a lot of their teams, a lot of these teams like Diamondbacks and I think the Guardians and a, a lot of others, they're not going to, they're not getting paid right now, or they're getting paid late, or, you know, they're being told like, hey, we maybe don't have the money. So MLB is working very closely. They just created an entirely new local media division, hired some seasoned executives there. If and when Valley Sports is like, yeah, we're just, we got to either shut down, baseball is going to be able to take over immediately. So they have that plan. The problem is, if you're a team like the Pirates, you struck a really huge local media rights deal that is really, really big for you, especially in a local market like that. When that goes away, and you know, an aside, their original sports network is owned not even by that Diamond Sports Group, but by Warner Brothers Discovery, which owns Turner. They're like, we want out of the business too. It's just not profitable anymore. So if the Pirates lose that, they're losing a huge, huge chunk of their revenue base that they had projected. Given you know how baseball is, it's not really, you know, the entity that the NFL is the Pirates losing that they were already on unequal footing with a team like the Dodgers who own their RSN or a team like the the Yankees that own their RSN, the Mets in these huge markets. It's going to create even a bigger gap potentially on the revenue side. Now, if you're a team like the Braves, you know, they didn't have as lucrative a deal, so it's not going to hit them at hard, hit them as hard. But the Braves were smart and they were able to diversify some of their holdings by building around their ballpark. Right. That area that they built around their ballpark, the battery, which is one of the reasons they left downtown and went to the suburbs. Heck, I think they made like fifty three million dollars just off the ancillary development that just profit last year alone. So you see a lot of teams wanting to do stuff like that, like the Bears. That's why they're leaving Soldier Field. They want to go out to Arlington Heights. They want to build the stadium and build around it. More importantly, these companies, these teams. You got to think of them as real estate companies now. They see that as the future. 
And that's how they maybe they'll help offset the loss of some of these regional sports dollars. If you're NHL, NBA, MLB, obviously not a problem for the NFL because they don't have these sorts of deals. So it just it depends on the team, but it is it is going to be a bigger issue for a lot of teams losing larger chunks of their revenue. It I, seems I think, it seems it seems like this RSN question kind of came at a at a particularly bad time for mm-hmm. MLB because they're looking to they're, they're looking to expand and how do you how do you pitch expansion for to to like these new markets when mm-hmm. when the bottom's falling out of this of the what has been this pretty consistent revenue stream for for mm-hmm. for each of for each of the you know each, especially like the mid to smaller markets yeah it, it's it didn't come at a good media rights time for baseball who took i think even a little less during their last national media rights deal and i don't have to tell you guys baseball has become so much of a tribal regional local sport compared to what the national sport that it maybe was 20, 30 years ago. Uh, people maybe watch Sunday Night Baseball, and that's like the key, or Saturday Night on Fox. Like the, Those are like the only two key national packages that you have a year. Everything else is kind of hyper-local on these regional sports networks. But I think, like the pandemic forced a lot of things to change quickly, change rapidly, I think that the bankruptcy of a lot of these regional sports networks is going to rapidly move the delivery of these games from what was linear TV on these RSNs to some sort of digital streaming, okay? I know everybody in the country was using paper tickets before the pandemic, but, you know, it it, it changed the game. Now everybody uses digital. It just happened that fast, and I think you're going to see that sort of quick change to how you are viewing most of your local games for NBA, NHL, MLB to a digital offering, unless it's on one of those national TNT or ESPN type packages. Self distribution is the endpoint of all of this at some point. Um, I, I don't know what that looks like. In the MLB future, wants you, control of those. Yeah, yeah, you, and you don't have to tell Tennessee Titans fans about the real estate aspect of, of building state and stadiums. They're right going to be, be able to do so much <laughs> along the riverbank there. When I was down there, I was checking out Nashville, checking out the the plot of land that they have across the river, and what they're going to be able to do with a new stadium. The fact and the fact that fans are already trained to walk over the bridge from Lower Broadway, the the scene is set for such a great social atmosphere of, around what's going to be happening in Nashville with the Titans' new venue. So I'll I'll ask you this, and we'll and we'll let you go. We do appreciate your time, uh, Austin, very much. Um, what like obviously the NBA and the NHL sort of, and we we are obviously here in Nashville, so we care about the Predators and the Grizzlies. They both mm-hmm. have deals with these teams. Uh, they they generate revenue off these teams. It's not nearly as large as the baseball percentages are. Do you have a sense of how Predators fans or Grizzlies fans should think about this throughout the summer and how they're going to be consuming their content come October or November when the season starts up again? Do you have any sense or prediction or valuation of what, what could take place? My prediction is come next season, I think you're going to be viewing a lot more of your games digitally. You're going to have that it's going to be primarily available digitally through some sort of product, whether it's, you know, NBA and NHL both have incredible digital products set up. Okay. I think it's going to be offered like that some way, or it's going to be offered if it's still in existence, if FS or Valley sports, Tennessee, or whatever the RSN name is now it's gosh, they've changed so many times over the years. I can't keep track. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) It might be offered digitally through some sort of service that is Bally's. Okay, so I I just think you need to prepare for a digital future. Fortunately, I think for the Grizzlies, or for the Grizzlies, for for the Nashville teams, um, they didn't have as as huge a media rights deal. It just wasn't that big a deal because that there was it was it was tough to get huge deals for those markets. There just wasn't a lot of following at first, especially for the Predators. It took a while to really get that organic growth there. And while the games are sold out there, there just isn't a huge diaspora of Nashville Predators fans around the country. Uh, The NHL is tough in that, heck, if you look at some of the the games that air nationally, it's a lot of the same repetition. It's a lot of the original six. Uh, You're not seeing a lot of Predators games. You're not seeing a lot of Coyotes games. I mean, you're not seeing a lot of games from some of these Sunbelt teams that are really strong in the standings but just don't have that national appeal. Sounds a lot like uh, women's sports, actually. Um, Austin, thank you so much, man. We do appreciate it. You guys are awesome up there at the Sports Business Journal. We do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Austin Karp of the Sports Business Journal, managing editor of the Sports Business Journal. And we don't... 
we don't go national too often, but there's so much ties, I think, to Southern women's sports and the SEC in particular. Uh, interest in this state, obviously, in college women's college basketball has been off the charts for decades. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got the Predators with the RSN deal coming up next year. How are they going to watch them? I am literally, now that the Predator season is over, Steve, I am essentially cutting the cord uh, and and moving on to to something far more far more exciting and, and malleable and quick moving also has Sunday ticket. <laughs> so, so there's that. Uh, I already have, here's the other thing. And I, I am fascinated by women's sports because I think local media is actually doing something very similar. Our, our part of our model here at our company is to like connect ourselves with a community of people that doesn't have huge audience, but it's very passionate audience and, and a, an audience that cares deeply about these things that aren't getting a ton of run. And I think that's exactly the model that women's sports now is that they are able to charge three to four times per viewer than a male sport is because no one's serving the audience. The product is so much better than people realize. And it's just it's it's been an untapped market for 25 years. And I think uh, people in Tennessee know all about women's basketball. So the rest of the world is finding out. And I think it's great. Well, it's one. It's one thing I, I, I meant to ask Austin about was kind of like <laughs> how much. Uh, it, it, Especially around here, the the Tennessee women, uh, the the Tennessee Lady Vols, the the women's basketball program there in general ha- has done so much work, kind of seeding the ground, and not not just in terms of of their popularity and 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 their performance on on the court, but I mean, doing a lot of work kind of within the community and within you know with supporting women's sports in general. Uh, I, I I wondered. Uh, you know, we women the, the the growth of women's sports here, I think, in part feels really natural and organic because you've had you've had this this kind of Templar uh, for for uh, for excellence uh, in the Lady Vols, and and it just it just it just feels like a natural a natural sort of outgrowth. I, I thought it was interesting because again his commentary about the Preds not being a huge TV draw. We've talked about TV ratings on the show for years and the Predators games just never register. MLS games never register. Grizzlies games never register. It doesn't mean that there's not an audience that will buy tickets. And again, like your MLS season pass, for example, is basically a few dollars less than a season ticket. Just go buy the season ticket, get to go to the games. And then, oh, by the way, you get the television package. And, And so the number of people that are going to these events and care about them deeply is far greater than the num- than sort of a national television audience would ever indicate, or even a regional television audience would ever indicate. Um, do you think that this all tracks? Because to me, there's like so much common sense involved in all of this. Women, there are more women in the United States than men. Uh, women's Olympic sports have always dominated television rank- ratings for a very long time. That the top sports are always women's gymnastics or swimming or you know whatever the the track and field like downhill super G just as popular with women. As it are as it is with men, but do you think the women's national team is what truly like changed us as a society? Like in the '90s with those special U.S. women's national teams, like do you think that that is where you could trace it all the way, the growth all the way back to that particular team, right on the verge of the explosion of cable channels and diversification of television products? I, I think that team had a couple of things going for it. One, uh, you had a couple of you had a couple of stars that were incredibly uh incredibly telegenic and i don't mean i don't mean beautiful i mean yeah. i mean I mean when you television watched, yeah when, when you watched Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy kind of just like leap off that screen they were just just had kind of like so much charisma and you know it's it's no accident that that Julie Foudy became like basically the television face of the of of women's soccer here for the next 25 years the they were very well timed and they did something really interesting in that they won the world cup that was being hosted here and had the and had people's attention and then they turned around and won the olympics the next year yep Yep. I was. I'm sorry. sorry. They, they, this was. I'm sorry. This was coming Two, off. Of, this this yeah. was coming off of having won the Olympics in '96 that had been here, and it sort. It sort of solidified. Uh, it, it sort of solidified that group of women as being uh, as being you know on Wheaties boxes on you, you know just kind of everywhere, 
at the at the same time that uh you know at the same time that cable was exploding and and you had they, they were just sort of everywhere uh and i think that I think that you can definitely sort of go back to to them being a very important kind of moment in the timeline for women for women's sports, particularly women's televised sports here in the U.S. So we talked last week about the the financial or the the to TV ratings um, for the Final Four, of course, for the women. And again, when you put personality um, on a platform, it becomes you know appointment viewing, talent, and a personality. So the other thing we mentioned there was NIL. Um, women have 20% higher numbers. Here's, here's a couple, just reg, just some facts here for you. He mentioned the ally financial ad buy, which is a multi-million dollar deal one year with ESPN. Um, this particular season, 90, they are requiring that 90% of that money go to women's sports. So you're talking about someone who's dropping millions of dollars into advertising into the biggest sports behemoth in, in national broadcasting and saying, we don't even, we're not even really that interested in any of the men's sports you're covering. <laughs> it's that 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 is a huge trend uh sponsorship in general across the board for all of women's sports in 2022 was up 20 percent from the year before you've got uh all kinds of companies whether it's google or gatorade or nike or hilton head they're all or hilton hotels that are all investing in all these professional leagues um and they're and they're what they're doing is they're they're a, they're a, that investment is then allowing for more coverage Right, it's allowing for studio shows. It's allowing for digital products. It's allowing for all this um, really, really cool stuff. And NIL compensated female athletes, according to Open Doors, uh, are twenty percent. There's there's twenty percent more social media activity for their deals than for the male athletes. Outside of football, take football away from it, which is obviously the big one. Everything outside of football, women are twenty percent more valuable in the NIL space than men are, and that's you heard him talk about it. Like it's just. It's such a giant. Uh, there's a sports network that's coming, a national sports network for women. Like it's just all, it's all happening, Steve. It's all happening, all happening. That's it. Uh, okay, you got any recommendations for the good folks out there? I do. Um, so, it, it, the Library of Congress does a really interesting thing every year. Um, they have a thing called the National Recording Preservation Board. And and so what they do what what they do is they go in and preserve the recordings, uh, whether it's the masters or or just some version of a recording, of of a select group of songs every single year. And it, and it, and it's it's fascinating to me. So they I think I think they pick twenty five every year. I know they picked twenty five this year. Um, but they made the they made the announcement this week, and it's uh it's just absolutely fascinating to kind of flip through it because it has it has some stuff from like the like the early part of the century there's like a there's like a a, a wc handy st louis blues uh song from the 20s in there and and you know, some, some uh there's some stuff from the you know 50s and 60s but but the recent additions are just fascinating uh like it's uh you know it's like ode to billy joe by by bobby gentry uh, it's Imagine by John Lennon. It's Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Mm. Uh, it's Flashdance by Irene Cara. Uh, Cara. Uh, Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics. There's a police song in there. Mm. Uh, and then also they they preserved, and this is just fascinating to me, they preserved the, the Super Mario theme. You know, dum, bum, bum. Bum, ba, dum, bum, yep, bum, yep, bum, 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 bum. No, I think we do. Yeah, and so, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's as close as you're going to get to me singing on this um, on this podcast. Doing there's queen, there's bums queen, and dumps. It's <laughs> a Queen Latifah song in the uh, on there. It's just a it, it is a fascinating kind of uh, cross cut of of musical culture in the United States in the 20th nice. in the 20th century, uh, and well, and 21st. Uh, well worth well worth flipping through and you can go back and, and you can go back through i think it is uh I, I think it's it's over 20 years of them doing this so they've got this huge catalog of songs that you can kind of you can kind of flip through you can listen to them it's just I, I, this is <laughs> at, at the risk of sounding too much like like uh jr our friend jr lind it's just neat <laughs> it's just really really fun who may or may not have also named the nations. Um, okay. So listen, I, I'm going to be very, so first of all, I want to say I went back and read, you recommended the, um, 
the ProPublica piece on the reporting on all of the, the Clarence Thomas stuff with with the 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 mega donor crow. Uh, that is, I, I knew like when you told me about it, it was going to be some pretty good reporting. I went when when you read it, the amount of like really good hardcore investigative journalism that went into that piece is extraordinary. It, it is extraordinary. We we are talking about like around the world reporting. <laughs> so yeah. uh, way to well, go, ProPublica. Uh, 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 great, great stuff. And the interesting thing that came out of that was the statement from uh, the, the statement from Justice Thomas was was basically it 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 denied nothing. That, right, that's right, what, right. That, that's when you know the reporting's good. It's like, well, of course he's my good friend. That's it. Yeah, they never talked about business at all. Probably uh, when they're when they're sitting there with in the Bohemian <laughs> the Bohemian Grove getaway with a bunch of other old dudes. Who all own Fortune fifty companies? Yeah, I'm sure on no business. I'm sure no business. On the super business. yacht in on the super yacht in Indonesia. Uh, every man's man, Clarence Thomas, who'd rather be in Walmart parking lots sure. than on a super sure. yacht in the South Pacific. <laughs> sure thing, buddy. <laughs> uh, all right, my recommendation is just the Sports Business Journal. Uh, I talked about the podcast. The podcast is great. Andrew Marshan, John Oran do a great show. Um, the Marand and Ocean, the Marshand and Oran podcast. I've recommended it before. Easy for me to say. The Sports Business Journal. Right now, they've got conversations on the website about YouTube Sunday ticket innovations. Jeff Bezos pursuing not pursuing the ownership of the Commanders. The Diamond Sports Network. They've got news about that. They've got news about Twitter sports executives stepping down. They've got their 2023 40 under 40 class for business. They've got uh, an article already up about the new Big Ten commissioner, Tony Patetti. That they, if you like the stuff that we do, then you probably love them. They are sort of the preeminent force in this world when it comes to sports and business. So go check them out. Sportsbusinessjournal.com is the website. You probably already know about them, uh, but they are really, really fun, fantastic, high quality reporters. And again, you can hear Austin and read Austin and see all of Austin's work up there on the website. So uh, special thanks to him for joining us. We do appreciate it, Steve. Um, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by who? Jaspers, always brought to you by Jaspers. Located in the West End neighborhood of Nashville, um, which is okay to call, right? We can call it West End? Yeah, it's not really a neighborhood, but sure. It's an area. I mean, I guess I guess technically they're in Midtown. Yeah. Okay, Midtown. Midtown's also a bad, not a bad name. I like it way better than all the yeah. other ones we discussed. Midtown, the Midtown, classic neighborhood name. Yeah, exactly. Lots of Midtowns around the, around the country. So go to Jaspers for all your culinary and sports watching needs. That's right, Jaspers, the next evolution of the sports bar. Check out the Nashville Banner, NashvilleBanner.com. Make sure you sign up for that uh, email inbox news coming right to you. It's great stuff. Uh, and as usual, listen to all the other great sport uh, shows from across the 440 Sports Network. We do appreciate you. If you want to come hang out with us at uh, the NFL Draft Watch Party presented by Sinkers, catered by Jaspers, and uh, hosted by 440 Sports, Zach Lyons and myself are going to do a live show. we got a trivia giveaway, open, open bar, all you can eat, all you can drink. Uh, it's a $40 ticket. All the money goes to, uh, to charity. You can check it out in the on the YouTube page. It's in the show notes there on a football show, so go check that out. Otherwise, thank you guys all for listening. Have a great weekend. For Steve Cavendish, I'm Braden Gall. This has been Lame Stream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.